The DeFalco Files is an entertainment-based program. Some memories of certain events might be fuzzy. All opinions are that of the host. Content might not be appropriate for children and some adults. Listener discretion is advised. And remember, the truth is here. Vegas Bad Boys of Podcasting presents The DeFalco Files with FSW owner Joe DeFalco and your host, Matt Michaels. Hey everybody, Matt Michaels here on The DeFalco Files with the owner and creator of the future stars of wrestling, FSW here in Las Vegas, Mr. Joe DeFalco. Joe, uh, man, we got to be getting uh, a little excited for... This coming uh, Sunday, the 30th, uh, Moment of Truth at the FSW Arena. Yeah, you know, uh, since we're limited to probably about, you know, six to eight casino shows, if we're lucky for the year, there's usually a few at the arena that rival what would be considered a casino show. And... Surprisingly enough, uh, two of them will be happening within a three or four month period. It's like, you know, we had Day of Reckoning, which was 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 a big show. And I'm pretty certain this one is bigger. And we promoted that as, man, this is the FSW Arena Super Show. You know, this one is the Arena Super Show, no pun intended, on steroids. Not, not to disrespect anybody or nothing. But, you know, looking at the card, you know, that card day of reckoning was excellent. But this one is just, you know, through the roof. We got the heavyweight champion. We got the tag team champions who were recently the impact tag team champions. We got the Nevada state champion who's held the title for over a year. We have the women's champion. We have the no limits champion. Every champion is being represented. We have the impact digital media champion. So we have the uh, United Wrestling Heavyweight Champion in Danny Limelight. Right. So sky's the limit. Every single match on the card. And due to my uh, overbooking, you know, we've been we've been we've been steady with eight matches on shows. And you know, we got a pre-show here and there, of course, you know. But this stacked card literally has nine matches on it and you know the ones that are non-title are you know remy and a mystery partner against devin reno and uh jordan cruz we got jay vidal and nick zander that's going to be interesting nick coming off a big effort against ice williams for the heavyweight championship that had a little feud going uh, the Bullet Club and the Suavecitos. You got Ice Williams and Hero Lou, Gregory Sharp and Jacob Boston Young. You know, we got Maz and Rochelle Riveter against Brittany Brooks and Tanaya. On a normal high octane, if we had three of those matches, it would be a pretty big show. And I'll be honest with you, like, I'm guessing this is what it's got to be because the other matches are all set. So 
the question becomes, as of today, I don't have that last match. But there's only room for one match. And the guys that don't have the match yet are Danny Limelight, Matt Vandegrift, Jordan Oasis, and Jared Diaz, who's coming in from the East Coast. Right. So, and working on where Viva Van is going to, or who she is going to wrestle. So, you know, it's like, wow, is all all I got to say, you know, on that one. And I'm probably missing a match because off my head, I know we got seven. And I'm trying to think, oh, Kenny King and Bodie, what the fuck? Yeah. You know, so it's like it is a who's who of the FSW roster from guys from the very beginning, like a Kenny King and a Remy Marcel to the new blood, you know, the the group that I'll christen the Brat Pack of like 18-year-old Brittany Brooks, 16-year-old Bodie, you know, all that young blood that's going to be there. And it's always good to get that pre-show match because we do have so much younger guys that aren't going to get a lot of opportunities unless they're on Future Shock or in a pre-show match. So this time around, we've had some singles matches recently, but I might do, you know, a six-man tag just to get – some of the the hard-working youngsters on an event that, you know, should be pretty crowded. And, you know, everything being set up for September 10th, which is survival of the fittest. But we also got two shows in August, the 12th and 26th. The 26th has a time change. That one's going to be at 4 o'clock because for some reason I forgot I had God smack and stain that night. (laughs) So it was either move the date, which we couldn't do, or make it an earlier show. <laughs> oh man, uh, this yeah. I mean, you know, you could you could have tried to uh, persuade uh, Godsmack and Stain to come to the arena and play the show there. We could have, you know. And again, it, it came down to we had the date set, and it was probably the twenty fifth. And I bought tickets, so I knew the show couldn't be the 26th. In that time frame, Millhouse at Pride Style was like, oh, I flew some guys in. I don't really want to run against you. It kind of defeats the purpose, being that he uses a lot of our guys. And it was like, I got some flights. Any way you could move it. And at that point, for some reason, I was thinking the concert was in September. So I'm like, oh, yeah, you know. Do me a favor, book Jared Diaz, since he's going to be in the 29th. Right. Oh, no, that was the July show. But, yeah, yeah so I told him the, that was when we moved that date, and then I think the 26th was moved also because okay. they had picked their dates. I'm not positive what it was, but for some reason we ran into, oh, shit, because my wife's like, we were at the Nickelback concert, and she goes, oh, no, I thought it said it was August 26th. I'm like, no, I, I believe it's September 15th. So now I'm in the concert and I got to go fucking scrolling through the internet to see when the show was. And I'm like, fuck, it is August 26th. Like now I'm at a concert scrambling over like what date we're going to use for the August show. And then it was like, you know what? I hit up Big Fonz. He's flying in. 
and it was like you know why change everything for people that i've already booked to right. now check and see if they're available another day it's like it's the end of august hopefully it won't be 107 so it'll be a little cooler so four o'clock won't be like oh my god you're in the middle of the day it's 114 degrees out so and then we look at the luck of uh <laughs> of the past and there's a good chance that it'll be a 122 at 4 oh, p.m probably yeah probably but I got to say, the swamp cooler is working pretty good because our portables, the idiots at the school, the students, they don't understand that when the water level's at zero, you either put more water on or you have to turn it off because the motor runs with no water in there. So the motor's not, it, it, it runs, but it's broke and it doesn't get cool anymore. Right. So thankfully, the overhead swamp cooler is working a lot better. And, you know, like I said, I remember last year at commentary, just sweat pouring down my face. And the last show was hot on the 14th. It was over 110. And I was like, wow, it really isn't that bad in here. It's actually somewhat comfortable, you know, as comfortable can be for 90 degrees or whatever. But it was far cooler. And thankfully, that swamp cooler is working way better than it did in the past. Yeah, especially with uh, the the amount of uh, attendees, uh, you know, the last few shows. Um, it's just ironic, too, that you'd have the bigger crowds hitting in the summer time when, you know, thank God the cooler is working. Um, as you head into this show, uh, you know, there there's a lot of matches here that our storyline matches um which makes it all that more entertaining all that more intriguing for you looking at some of the stories that you know have been going on what are a couple of your i guess favorites or what are you looking forward to see in terms of the progression when it comes to the matches happening from what has been building up well, you know, uh, let's start with um, uh, Rochelle and Maz. You know, two different paths. Rochelle started getting some notoriety in FSW with Maz being gone. And uh, Rochelle had the opportunity to wrestle Viva. She came up short. And, you know, Maz had some advice for her and kind of putting her under the wing, as you say. But Rochelle wasn't this inexperienced woman wrestler, she right. had a pretty good, you know, track record in Colorado. And as usual, you know, somebody leaves the state and comes to FSW and a few more things seem to happen for the, for that person, you know, and, and it's happened throughout FSW's history of people coming in. And they look like a pretty solid duo. And, yeah. you know, it's going to be interesting to see because Tanaya, she's up and coming. Brittany Brooks is. But Brittany Brooks has a lot more experience at 18 than most 25-year-olds. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see because, you know, off this can also break into some singles matches. And those are big matches for, for, for her 
to wrestle the likes of Maserati and Rochelle. So it helps her growth as a wrestler. Jordan Cruz, you know, he's finally found a solid spot in FSW. Now, now's his shot. There, there's no excuses. You know, he was in, he was out. The crowd started getting behind him. He, he aligned with uh, the two other 1% guys, uh, not Royce and Jarrell, but Class and, and Devin Reno uh, as the Billionaire Boys Club. But they were the early next rendition of the 1%. You know, they looked apart. So yeah. it's going to be an interesting match to see, uh, you know, with Remy, first time uh, Cruz and Remy are on opposite sides. Yeah. You know, to see where we go in that. You know, he knows Devin Reno real well. Class not available. So they don't have to look behind their back and, and, and worry about that. You know, Bodie had the biggest moment of his career. Uh, you know, Kenny has helped train him. Kenny helped him out when Jay Vidal and Danny Limelight tried to take out Bodie. And when Bodie hit the pinnacle, the true colors of, of Kenny King showed up and he aligned with the faction, which is going to be interesting to see how they coexist with five members. And, you know, now you got Ice and Kenny as the alpha males. Yeah. You know, there was a big difference when Braxton was kind of running the faction and Ice came in. Ice was already established as a as a singles guy as a star <clears throat> and he helped boost them yeah. now your heavyweight champion is now looking up to kenny king so that is going to be extremely interesting yeah. uh you know jay and nick is fresh it's new uh things happened in the cash in the case ladder match where xander felt you know every man for himself no doubt about it but the attitude of Jay Vidal has kind of changed since he got the big break and signed with Impact Wrestling. And seems to me that he's kind of forgotten a little bit where his roots were and seems to feel like he might be a step ahead of people in FSW when it wasn't that long ago, you know, he was training with all those guys. Big yeah. difference. Big difference than a Chris Bay who's still there working with people. You know, I walked in, you know, two of the last four training classes and there's Chris, you know, and he's not like teaching at all times. Like they're running drills and, and he's being a part of it, you know, so it, Ice and Hero, they wrestled to the anniversary show, not a clear cut winner. So we're having a match. Gregory Sharp, Jacob Austin Young, same thing. Those guys know each other well. They were tag teaming in New Japan. They've yeah. been friends for a long time. And, you know, I, I think they have a pretty strained relationship uh, right now. So it's going to be interesting to see. Jake wants what Greg has. You know, Greg never had before. So Greg will do whatever it takes to make sure he doesn't not have it again. Right. So, you know, Suavecitos, you know, they earned their way. You know, Royce and Jarrell look like they were going to step into that spot. But, you know, that we, nev we never said the Suavecitos weren't crafty. And 
you know, they, they pulled out a big dubby. And now they're getting the biggest opportunity of their careers. You know, they did wrestle for the tag titles against Hero and Shogun, but it's a totally different dynamic. Those guys right. had 100 pounds on them. So it was hard for them to chop down those giants. You know, Chris Bay, Ace Austin, you know, they're, if you're talking about top five tag teams in the world, they're probably in that conversation. So with the chip on Suavecito's shoulders, they're going to do whatever it takes to, you know, try to score the victory. And again, in all that conversation now, you know, who's next in line for Viva Van? You know, she has pretty much decimated the women's division. So it's good to see the fresh faces of the Brittany Brooks and the J-Rod. And, you know, she just got by Gypsy Mac. She beat Rochelle. She's beaten Maz. She's beaten Alice Blair, but she beat a much younger Alice Blair. So who's much improved. And, you know, there's Brooke Havoc we're looking to bring in. And we're just trying to, you know, get the best competition out there. You know, we've talked with names. Viva beat Dark Sheik. It's like whoever has been on that West Coast, she has, she has beaten. Yeah. So, you know. And she's hungry. You know, she's looking for that, you know, AEW, WWE contract. So you don't see her slipping up anytime soon. Yeah. So the question is, hey, is Viva Van and Brittany Brooks the marquee match that we're going to see down the line? You don't know. But looking at that show, now it's like, okay, take a step back. We got... Limelight and Vandegriff, Vandegriff lost the No Limits title because of, to Limelight because of Jay Vidal. And Oasis, he's been kind of in and out. He's working some New Japan shows. He, he, he's extremely talented. Problem again becomes there's so many guys on the roster. You know, Damian Drake, not on the show. Class, not on the show. Clutch, not on the show. Cody's still injured. Yeah. You know, so... Big Fonz, not on the show. Brett the Threat, not on the show. So how do you squeeze into those spots when you're you're on the borderline? How do you jump to that next level? Well, Oasis has had opportunities against Evandergrave, against Limelight. Hasn't won those matches. So, you know, everybody's scratching and clawing. Survival of the Fittest opens things up a little. Because we do do a four-on-four four and a three-on-three. Three. And it maybe it looks like probably in the women's division we're going to do a four-on-four four survival match. And, you know, the faction's the faction. You know, do you break them up? Tag titles will be on the line. And, you know, we've already signed two big teams to whoever's going to be the champions. You know, I can confirm the Wolves, Zaddies, Tito, and Che – and Royce and Jarrell will be at survival of the fittest. We're trying to bring in, you know, the best tag teams. So I would imagine if the Suavecitos win, the Bullet Club's already signed for September 10th also. So, you know, it becomes up to the Suavecitos. They want to be in a, in a match at survival of the fittest. They have to beat the Bullet Club. Because regardless, win, lose, or draw, Bullet Club are going to be there. They're the, they're the champs. 
Right. So you you already got three teams. How we're going to work it, we don't know. But the idea is at least a four four team match. You know, is it a gauntlet match? I don't know. With the champion on the end, survival of the fittest. Kind of like those ideas to to shake things up. Right. So you know, right now we're in July and we're almost two months away. And the concept of the card is is pretty much already set. It just goes to what's going to happen over these next three shows that are happening to basically finalize the spots. And, you know, at this point, it's hard when guys don't have the stories because stories usually continue a little bit. So... But a Matt Vandergrift's in a great spot. He's got the cash in the case. So he can go after who, whoever he wants. And I'm pretty sure he's going to announce something. You know, I've talked with him. And he's pretty keen on, you know, I can say right now that he's keen on not cashing in on the no limits because he's already had it. Right. He's keen on not finding a tag partner, a Damian Drake or somebody else to go after the tag division. So that only leaves two because he's not eligible for the women's title. So I thought that was, I I personally thought that's what Braxton was going to take a shot at. (laughs) Oh man. Um, You know, that's uh, very, um, very interesting talking about Matt too. Um, You know, he's, had the future legends title out there a little bit. Um, when you look at that idea of, and you just said Braxton, you know, he took a year, he took a full year to cash that in. Um, is there, is there a sense of urgency for Matt or is there a patience to him where you could see Matt taking his time for that right opportunity? To be honest with you, Matt Vandegrift is totally different than Braxton. And no disrespect to Braxton, but Matt Vandegrift had been a champion on two different occasions. Right. He won the Future Legends Championship. So that's three. He's wrestled Chris Bay. He's beaten Kenny King. You know, he's beaten TJP. So... He has been on the grandest stage of them all in FSW. So most people would expect Matt Vandegrift to cash in and win. I personally think a guy like Matt Vandegrift is not going to, oh, we didn't see it coming. Right. I, I, I think he's a guy who, you know, potentially can set something up with somebody he – wants to go after, whether it's Sharp, Jacob Austin Young, Ice Williams, Hero, whoever's the Nevada State or heavyweight champion. You know, I, I think for me, the concept of cashing in at any time is what we want. It's what I want because I want people to feel like, hey, we can't miss this show. You know, Matt might cash in. The cash in the case guy might cash in tonight. I don't want to miss it where Matt might be the type of guy and knowing the type of guy he is, 
other than, you know, when he got a little discombobulated when uh, the unguided kind of had their issues. But Matt quickly, you know, made amends with Damian Drake, you know. Yeah. And again, probably people in his ear because that's how the wrestling business is. You don't need him. Look how good you are. You'd be a champion without him. Why? Do you, why? He's holding you back. So, You're the so Marty you know, MK's been talking, huh? You know, and that that's what people do, especially managers when they're trying to, you know, acquire new talents. You yeah. know, class got in Jordan Cruz's ear and Jordan Cruz, as good as he is, wasn't having a run of success doing what he was doing. And class chipped away at him. And in his eyes, he's seen the light. So with Matt, I could see him saying, boom, this show, me and you, heavyweight title, Nevada State title. Or he could be smarter and take advantage of the situation. Right. You know, it's not taking advantage. You're not cheating. You're doing what the rules state. And the idea of having that case is to cash in when your opponent is weak, he's vulnerable, you know, it's not a popularity contest, it's winning championships. And right now, Matt is without a championship. So, you know, why, why if it's me, I wouldn't do that. I'd, I'd, take, I'd take a shot when I could. Yeah. You know? Now, if, if I'm I'm in Matt's eyes, I'm like, man, I'd love to be the heavyweight champion. I had Ice Williams beat before. Yeah, true. I could beat that guy. I'm better than him. Yeah. So, you know, no different with Ice. You know, Ice felt he was better than everybody before, but now he had backup. And we saw in the triple threat match at the anniversary. The faction didn't help him win that match. He's good enough to win matches. Yeah. But sometimes you want to you, – you don't want to go 30 minutes in a grueling two-on-one match with former tag team champions that if they get on the same page, they're going to whoop his ass. Yeah. So, you know, there's so much going on. Danny Limelight, former No Limits champion. What, what's next for him? You know, this is his first show back. Yeah. You know, I've talked to him. He's got his eyes sights on big things. You know, we talked about it before. You know, I'm looking if there's room for another match to sign a, a Hammerstone versus Danny Limelight singles match. I don't think it's ever happened. You know, no. that's a match I'd love to see. So, you know, and again, there's only eight or nine matches. Yeah. You know, you know, luck of the draw in November, you know, we, we got to keep the name against all odds in some way. So we're going to bill it as the against all odds rumble. I, I don't think impacts going to have an issue with that. Right. Because right. it is against the all odds rumble. You have to now win the rumble with 30 people in it. And then later that night, beat the heavyweight champion to to go full circle. Right. And that's the perfect name 
for that match at least. So since we can't use the name and against the odds is fucking stupid, you know, luck of the draw now, you know, hey, I called up Eric Bischoff, actually conversated with him a couple weeks ago. Actually, it was about a couple months ago. But the idea of bringing him in, hey, he could be the commissioner for the first ever spin the wheel, make the deal, luck of the draw. Uh, you know, hey, hey, Eric, and he he loves Vegas, so I yeah, know. no, we had it. We had a good conversation. Is you know, his price was pretty steep. You know, but if we can if we can market it as a card signing and different right. things like that, you know, because I our our two our students they are so smart with three or four months experience. They're probably the smartest wrestling trainees in the history of the world. So. A seminar with a guy who ran the company that beat WWF for many, many weeks. A seminar with him would probably be meaningless because they already know everything. Right. So probably right. couldn't pull that off. But we might be able to get some fans to, you know, want to have a meet and greet. You know, hey, I'd like the idea one night only the night before at the FSW arena kind of like we did with Hack, Hacksaw Jim Duggan and, and Million Dollar Man. We've yep. done it with Matt Hardy. Man, if there's a guy who's probably got more stories than just about anybody, yep. fucking, it's got to be Eric Bischoff. Yeah. Like, how, how would you – like, Vince Russo, it would be interesting to me because Vince Russo's had some of the best ideas and some of the worst ideas. Right. And when he had no filter, some, a lot more of those worst ideas came out. But to deny that he didn't have any success in WWF when he was involved. And I might be one of the few, but I love the New Blood faction in the Millionaire Club club that he did with uh, with WCW. Yeah, you're, you're the guy. You're the I'm one. I'm the guy. <laughs> you know, that was when guys like Sean O'Hare and Mark Jindrak got pushed to the moon by Eric Bischoff. Sean O'Hare was fucking fantastic. And there was a lot of those younger talents. All right, Sean Stasiak might have not been, you know, one of the top guys and making him the new, you know, some of it was kind of corny and stupid, you know, the new, uh, what was Lex Luger's gimmick? Oh, God. Total package. Total yeah, package. Right. I remember they like made Sean Stasiak the new total package. Right. Right. You know, and they did that with a lot of stuff. And I remember the stories. And I remember that Jindrak and O'Hare won the tag titles against Bagwell and might have been Luger. It was where Luger. they both just laid down and took like the frog splashes or whatever and basically took the pin one, two, three, and then just got up and walked away. And it was like, what the fuck? So, man, those WCW times, great shit. You know, I was at the Nitro Grill the night that Raven and Eric Bischoff and all those guys had the argument. And the next day, Saturn, Eddie Guerrero, Benoit, they all quit. Yep. Shane Douglas was also quitting. But WWE didn't want to sign him, so he right. ended up staying. 
Right. But those guys eventually ended up leaving, and that was after they gave Benoit the title. Yeah. And I was there when Raven and him were going off. And I remember Mike Tanay. There was so much shit going down. That was at the Betty Boop Bar at the MGM. Sure. And I remember Tanay was kind of standoffish that day. And I remember I was like talking to him way later. He apologized because there was so much shit going on. It, it was it was insanity. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's it, it's it's fascinating. And you just brought up a great name too. Uh, have Have you ever had any discussions with Tanay since he is in the Vegas area about potentially? Yeah, years ago, and it was a long time ago. I remember Rush ran into him, talked to him a few times. You know, he knew me well. You know, we used to talk all the time. You know, he was the the first guy who – I remember listening on the way to work one day, and it was the radio show that Mike Tanay had done. And I knew he was a guy at Sportsbook at the Gold Coast, and he had run a wrestling radio show. And years later, I did mine. And we would talk all the time when they were in town at the Nitro Grill and things like that. And reached out and, you know, I got some emails back and then time just passed and he just ended up staying away. You know, we, we tried to get him involved to see if he wanted to be doing anything and, and, and he just didn't, you know. And I believe this was like after the TNA days. Right, which, you know, uh, I mean, in, in all honesty, I'm sure he is pretty much winding down into retirement, you know, the last few years, it seems like, because he's not very visible, uh, even on, uh, like, on uh, the convention circuits and stuff. You just, you don't see Mike out there. No, I, I, last I heard, and this was a while back, but I heard he had, like, a, a sports gambling podcast that he was doing. Kind of like Brent Musburger. They all came to Vegas. Yeah. But Tanae's been here forever. He never moved away. You know, he always stayed in Vegas. So, you know, he was a good dude. Enjoyed talking with him. You know, it was just disappointing that, you know, we were the company out here and couldn't get him involved in, you know, doing anything. Yeah. You know, I think Paulie used to talk to him here and there also. Um. When you think about, uh, you know, an idea of uh, Danny Limelight versus a Hammerstone, uh, we just uh, got a match this weekend that uh, went down with Hammerstone and Penta. Is this the point where Hammerstone starts getting these higher exposure matches now that he's no longer the MLW champion and he has that, you know, kind of history now behind him, and in moving forward, probably get more opportunities for bigger matches like that one. Yeah, that one came out of nowhere. Like I didn't know anything about it until I saw it, and it was like tonight. I'm like, where the fuck was the promotion on this? Like, holy shit, he's getting to work, Penta. Cool. The thing is, as the MLW champion. It wasn't about taking bookings. It was being a lot more selective. You know, as the champion, they don't want him going in and wrestling potential guys that they might have in MLW. 
be protective of the belt. That's the biggest issue when it comes to that. Right. So I'm pretty certain he didn't want politics to get involved in the decision-making. So choosing to pass on certain matches, you know, it was no different than a couple of years before that when Jacob Fatu was the MLW champ. You know, he wasn't going around and working all these indie places. Right. Uh, and just watering it down, I guess you could say. Because MLW, they don't have a lot of shows, but they pay them very well for the shows that they do. Yeah. So having Hammerstone as your champion and then seeing him on a hundred different shows doesn't make his value. Cause I remember like with Kenny, when we we're doing ring of honor, he was doing ring of honor and we would start doing stuff on fight. Like at one point they didn't want him to be on fight at all. Like Kenny, I can't book you and put you in the pre-show match. Like right. I, I have to pay you your rate but I can't utilize you for people to watch it. More yeah. people are going to watch if Kenny King's on the show than somebody else. And then it became, as long as you don't promote it or advertise it, and it's like, okay, well, we're doing a casino show, and that's our sell to our people that Kenny King's on the show. You know, hey, we got a steel cage match, Kenny King and uh, Killer Cross, but we're not going to advertise it. Like, Sometimes those companies were really anal about it. You know, Jay Lethal would come to the Mecca shows all the time. Because Ring of Honor was Friday, Saturday. We would be Sunday. He'd get the flight out Monday. We we did a seminar with him and loved Jay. And I remember it was like we had Liger in there. And it was like, hey, love you to work the show, blah, blah, blah. He's like, hey, talk to, uh, you know, not Gary Juster, the other one, uh, the guy who ran, forgot his name. Basically, the guy who ran Ring of Honor. Yeah. Who also, who also worked for Sinclair. Yeah. Joe Cobb. There we go. Yeah. And it was like, I understood that on Friday for a Saturday, Sunday Ring of Honor show, they're not going to let their guys work. But it was like they legit sold out Samstown Friday and Saturday. All Jay Lethal is going to do is come to our show anyway on Sunday. So who cares if he's getting a payday on Sunday? It isn't like he's getting hurt for your show. He gets to work indies, but you wouldn't allow him to work the show on the Sunday. And it's like, but you already sold out. So it isn't like, oh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna come to the show where it's cheaper on Sunday uh, to see Jay Lethal, it was like there was no choice. And it was like they are were very anal about it. You know, AEW, they weren't running a show on a Friday, but I wasn't allowed to use any of their guys on a Friday because Rampage was on a Friday. So they wanted it to seem to the average fan that the show was live. Why, why is Toa Leona defending the six-man tags on Rampage, but he's wrestling at FSW? So they want the perception and it's like you know what i get it you're paying moxley a million dollars jericho but guys like toa and those other guys are getting paid per appearance and 
if you look, other than on Ring of Honor tapings, Toe is not really being used. Khan's not really being used. They're using Cage a little bit more, and obviously Cage is at a different level contract-wise. Right. But it's like even Jungle Boy, when I saw him recently, had the conversation. And it was like when he got signed, initially everybody got signed to exclusive contracts and they couldn't work anywhere. Yet they were only running pandemic time one show like right. for a taping every two weeks and half the time he wasn't on the show. And it's like, don't you want your 21-year-old dude to get better by working good people? Like, I get it. You know, you don't have him come in and work Fox Valentine in his first match. But, you know, if he's going to go on the indies and he's going to work a Chris Bay, why would that be bad? But, you know, they're pretty... It's like I understand the being protective, but if you're protective and you're allowed to work anywhere, then let them work anywhere. You're just taking money out of their pocket, especially for the non-guys. Why do you think MJF left for so long? He had a signed contract of what he was worth coming out of MLW. Well, he made his worth far more. So he pulled like an NFL holdout where I'm not coming back unless you fucking pay me. Yep. You know, and, and as a business person, you can look at it two ways. You can look at it as, well, you sign the contract. You know, the NFL has it perfect. They do the five-year five year rookie contract. So it's happening with all the running backs now. And back in the day, man, when you were the running back, you were the highest paid guy. Yeah. Now everybody's in a rotation system and who's the third down back and who's the you know, we're going we're gonna to bring him the change of pace back. And now all of a sudden that that 40 carry a game guy doesn't exist anymore. And 25 is usually going to be really tops. And if you look at it, like Ezekiel Elliott, he was the last guy to get that really big contract. And then after a couple of years, he deteriorated because the running backs – when they're 28, 29, they're toward the end of their career. Right. Well, when you're 22 coming out of college and we lock you up for five years at a million and a half a year, sounds like great money. But when you led the league in rushing the last two years and you're still getting the million and a half, now there's nothing you can do. So right. now these guys are holding out because they're being offered $10 million a year, which again is a big raise, but they're looking for that Sixty million dollar four year deal, and it's the same thing in wrestling. You know, one bad one bad shot, you're fucking done. Yeah. So you know, MK played it right. I mean, MJF played it right. You know, hey, even though his contract didn't expire for a while, yeah, Triple H, they're calling me up. Like in the old days, you would think that'd be tampering. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. And I, and I've heard they've sued WWE over this tampering issue right. and the, the thing the lawsuit with mlw and i can tell you right now i know people talk i know people from other companies that talk with people when their contracts are coming up and it, and it happens everywhere because everybody's well, looking for their best looking for the best deal but but also you know that's the fascinating thing about pro wrestling right is because it's, it's held to standards of a professional sport, but yet it's an entertainment show 
And so Tom Cruise can be filming a, a film and have three other films that he's signed to. There's no tampering. You know, there's no there's no going against the contracts. You can talk, you can sign people, you can head into the future. I just find it fascinating that, hey, you're locked up for five years. You can't talk to anyone about your future. That's messed up. Well, what you got to look at is the dynamic of the wrestling business is pretty much the dynamic of the sports business. So in sports, you have the NFL, Major League Baseball. Well, Major League Baseball has a minor league system. So to me, that's generally more similar to the wrestling business than the other sports. Because in basketball, you're generally coming out of college and you're going pro. In football, you come out of college, you're going directly to being a pro. In the wrestling business, you can literally go from making $50 to $100 a match to all of a sudden be making $250,000 a year. But in more cases than not, you're starting at a $50 to $100 a match Going on an impact, a ring of honor, an MLW, a new Japan, and now your your rate is bumped five to ten times the amount. Right. Then you go to WWE or AEW, and now you're taking that five hundred to a thousand a match, and now you're making five hundred a match, but you might only be contracted for twenty matches. In Impact, I know a lot of the guys' contracts are per match. Right. So they're doing two or three matches a month. So even if you're getting paid a thousand bucks a match, the most you can make is three thousand a month. Right. Well, what if they're not using you on one of the shows? You know, two thousand a month barely pays for a good good apartment. You have a car payment. You're not buying a new Tesla, that's for sure. You know, you're buying a used Camry if you're lucky. Yeah. You know, so you have to jump when the iron's hot. So a lot of people are like, oh, this guy, that's fucked up. I can't believe he re-signed with WWE. They don't even use him. Well, go back on the indies, and I've seen it where these guys who didn't make a dent in WWE, you know, I remember back in the day using a uh, Drew McIntyre, okay? Perfect story. 2014, 2015, Drew McIntyre starts off, he is the chosen one. By the time he is done in WWE, he probably hadn't won a match in two years, and he was in three MB that were basically a goof fucking triple uh, faction. They were the jobber faction. Heath Slater, Jinder Mahal, and Drew McIntyre. Drew gets released. We're doing a tournament for the IWF in Arizona. And the show's stacked. And we got the Young Bucks. And we got Shane Strickland. And we got Rich Swan, And we got Trevor Lee. And we got Chris Hero. And we got ACH. And we got LA Knight. And we even got Cross in a pre-show match against Evan Daniels. 
Uh, we got Brian Cage. We got Tommaso Ciampa. And we need that one big name. So I'm trying to get Hardy. And Matt's not available. And he goes, what about Drew? And I'm like, ugh, what does this guy want? And he wanted a couple of grand. And it's like, couple of grand? Like Matt was working for me for a similar price. And Matt Hardy, at that point in his career, was already a future Hall of Fame. And it was like, I'll talk to him for you, blah, 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 blah. Drew calls me up. We agree on a price. And he had to work two matches. It was a, uh, a tournament. So he was winning his first match, which ended up being against Biff Busick. <laughs> no, was it? No, sorry. He beat Ciampa in the first round. Okay. okay? Now it's a four-way for the, for the IWF title. And it was Brian Cage, Chris Hero, and Uha Nation, now known as Apollo Crews. Yeah. This is one of the most stacked ever fucking indie cards where every single person is now in the major leagues doing big things. Now, Drew, at that point, I realized, wow, I made a big mistake. This guy is unfucking real. If I was starting a major company and had millions of dollars, Drew McIntyre at that point would have been my number one draft pick. He was big, could talk, looked great, had the accent. It was like, you know, every box was checked. I could see he was young. Things didn't work out the first time. And then he went to Impact, took off, became the champion. And then it was like, Drew McIntyre signs with NXT. And I'm like, what the fuck? He's signing with NXT. This guy is too good. But look at him now. Now it's is he getting one million or two million dollars a year? And it was like recently they had the issues. They weren't sure he might go to AEW. And five years ago or ten years ago, I would have been like, yeah, that motherfucker. He ain't signing back with WWE. They did him dirty. Blah 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 blah. blah. Right. I knew he wasn't going anywhere. The money was too good. They're going to work it out. He was too talented. But on the other hand, you had guys like Heath Slater and, and all these guys. Oh, I can't believe they're still there. And it's like un until they get released, they're lifers. You know, somebody's paying you two, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year. You're going to go on the indies hoping somebody's going to want to pay you a thousand, two thousand, three thousand a match. I see guys and they're really good but they're way out of my price range. You know, right. Joey hits me up. He's like, hey, you know who'd be cool to have? Scotty Too Hottie. I'm like, yeah, I've already inquired. But for the price that he's asking, it just prices him out. Because as good as he may be in his track record, at this time frame, we're not going to get 200 people that weren't coming to the show come to the show because Scotty Too Hottie's on you know, everything is relative when it comes to pricing. So to give up huge money, you really got to bet on yourself. MJF bet on himself. And he turned his contract that wasn't expiring for a couple of years. 
at whatever a couple hundred thousand a year to probably over a million a year because he took the shot said fuck it you know worst comes to worst i'll go on the indies but he wasn't losing a million dollars by playing hardball sure right um when you look at uh you know kind of along those lines um you, you kind of talking about that idea of you know yeah, you know staying staying where you're going to get paid or or at least um taking advantage of that payday when it's available to you before you know something happens to your body or uh you know you get a little cold um with the fans uh you know not maybe being behind you like they once were uh right now you know the internet just wants to explode over uh la nights non-usage non-push uh whatever you want to consider it what is your opinion having him be a former fsw champion um i mean are they doing him wrong or does it seem to be that this is kind of the right thing where it's not just immediate overexposure but letting it organically build to the point where when that story is ready to be pulled it's going to be one of the biggest stories in wrestling and that's going along the lines of what they've been doing a little bit lately with some of their bigger storylines is it's kind of different because it's not crash booking anymore it seems like they have a little longevity to no no i disagree i disagree most cases it is but the few cases that aren't you've seen how successful they are That's which in that. turn you would make them think but we've watched i've watched wwe too long to think that they see the bloodline storyline and they're going to get it right from now on i don't believe they will i think they magically got lucky but they have a guy like Heyman involved. They got Roman Reigns who understands the business involved. You know, the Usos come from the wrestling family. You know, Seth is going to do, you know, he's probably just listening. You know, he's probably not as opinionated in that situation. But you got Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn. They were all involved in this. So they had their footprints all over it. L.A. Knight isn't going to have his footprints all over creative because he hasn't reached that stature to where his opinion means something. You know, I read, I watch, I know him. I know what happened the first time around. He kind of rubbed some people the wrong way. They got rid of him. Right. I heard the story, you know, when you're not being utilized, you're trying to figure out ways how you can contribute. He wasn't contributing even in NXT at that time. So moving forward, everybody thinks they should be the champion right now if you're good enough to believe you should be the champion. There's people that are delusional, things like that. You know, hey, you should have pulled the trigger quicker on ice. Hey, I can't believe Sharp didn't have the title for this long. Hey, 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 I'd make a decision based on what I feel is best for the company. It's my fucking company. 
Yeah. I'm not going to try to hold somebody back to ruin my fucking company. I want the best people in the right spots and it for it to make sense. So LA Knight is brought in after all the debacle with the Max Dupree, which I'm like, oh my God, I get it. He talks great on the mic. We're going to make this guy a fucking manager, but we're making him a manager for the fucking jobber tag team. That's never going to win. So if you're a jobber tag team, your manager's a bigger jobber because at least managers usually help you win. They weren't, he wasn't even helping them win. I'm like, this is disaster written all over it. Right. Then magically Triple H thankfully likes him. Vince is gone for a while. They give him back the name. All of a sudden, they put him in with Bray Wyatt. Well, what's going to happen? Bray Wyatt's going to fucking destroy this guy. There's no doubt about it. It's Bray Wyatt's return. In a week, he's selling more merch than anybody. All of a sudden, because Bray Wyatt doesn't wrestle, and they didn't have the match two weeks after Bray Wyatt came back, all of a sudden, there was progression. I don't think it was because the geniuses at Titan Towers were like, we're going to take the storyline of the guy who was just the job or manager and wrestle the hottest star, but we're going to wait three months to do it. No, Bray Wyatt's probably trying to get back in shape. They're working on creative. They need him to be on TV. So they have LA Knight come out. And all of a sudden it's like, hey, wow, this guy's pretty entertaining. Hey, this guy's holding his own in a fucking debate with fucking Bray Wyatt. The most beloved wrestler. Thank God he's back. It's the greatest thing ever. Right. And they finally get to the match. And, you know, they gave they gave uh, Sean a lot of offense. And it was a good match, whatever. It was a little corn. What have happened within the first month of Bray Wyatt's return, it probably would have been moved on and he would have been, you know, losing to Baron Corbin next week. But instead, this process took three months, and since he got TV time, they looked at the TV time, and maybe the ratings bumped a little. Maybe it was because of Bray Wyatt, but maybe Bray Wyatt wasn't there, and they did some stuff, and they were doing these little stories and these little things, and all of a sudden, the guy was on three out of four weeks on SmackDown. No different than when Brian Cage or Ricker came to FSW. You didn't see him that much. When they became regulars, it was easier to, oh, okay, this this is an FSW guy. Hey, this guy's entertaining. Hey, they're giving him an opportunity. Hey, he might not be winning many matches or whatever, but he's getting on TV working his brand. And three months later, now there's people, Triple H already liked the guy. That's why he got brought back. So now right. you got riders, now you got upper management that's looking at him and like, yeah, he's 40 years old, but he's in great shape. You know, he's phenomenal on the mic. And the crowd didn't go crazy for him when he was with Bray Wyatt. But all of a sudden, there was a good portion of the crowd that was starting to get behind him. And the uh, L.A. Knight. And yeah, and, and, uh, and the stuff that he has done for many years. And all of a sudden, it became organic, kind of like Kofi Mania. But remember what happened to Kofi Mania. They gave him the belt. 
People went crazy. He got killed by Brock Lesnar. And then he basically went right back to being one of the cogs of the New Day, who were popular, but the crowd basically shot their load. He became the champ. They got what they wanted out of it. And now they moved on to a new flavor. And there's always going to be new flavors. And you say, do you strike when the iron's hot? Or do you, or do you slow build it? And I think they're doing right just because they got to see it takes more than cutting promos when you're having the match. And he don't have to be great. He needs to be pretty decent. So he needs to have the right view. You know, it's kind of like what Conan said about Cross. You know, you put him in the right feud. I don't, you know, the guy has the best entrance in wrestling. He wrestles AJ Styles, and they don't even televise the entrance, and he loses in two minutes. But then he attacks somebody else, and now he's wrestling uh, Luke Gallows, I believe, on Friday. And you want to talk about another group of guys who aren't really getting any pitch. There's a They went back. Why? Because they're getting paid a lot of money. They have no storylines. They're barely on TV. Hey, there's no way Cross should lose to Luke Gallows, who's a tag team wrestler on SmackDown. Right. So, but again, Luke Gallows and and uh, Doc and, and Machine Gun, they had it great in, in Impact. They were champions. They got big matches. The only thing they didn't get is what they're getting in WWE. Tons of money. And yeah. when, when you're 40 years old, 45 years old, you know, you hear PJ Black, oh, I'd like one last run, one last run. Everybody wants that last run in WWE. Why? Because it's guaranteed money. If they'll use you in the beginning when they first sign you. And go look at, you know, go look at the rosters and count how many guys in WWE and AEW that were getting paid tons of money. Rusev, Lance Hoyt, you know, if you weren't that top 15, Pac they use once in a while. Like, they have so much great talent that's being paid, but they're not even utilizing. And they're great talent. Right. So if you're pretty good talent, are you going to turn down 300,000? You might when you're 22. You know, I've had conversations with Chris Bay and Hammerstone, and my thinking is, bro, what are you doing? You know, Chris was telling me, hey, they want one they wanted to sign him. I'm like, oh, I'd hold out. I'd hold out. Sign the contract. Then the new contract's coming up. In between that, it's like, oh, contract's coming up in a year, bro. You know, AEW, Cody's saying your name, you know, WWE. And then all of a sudden, WWE, a lot of people don't want to be there, especially the younger guys, because you're going to NXT. You're not going to be – Chris Bay's not going to be offered a half a million a year yet. So he'd have to get into the system, do really well, based on them giving you the opportunity. If you don't get the opportunity, then you're nothing. That's the biggest difference between sports – like football and wrestling. In football, if we go practice, and I'm the fourth-string quarterback, Kurt Warner, who just bagged groceries, 
And all of a sudden, I'm lights up in the fucking preseason. The other quarterback gets hurt. I fucking win the Super Bowl. Do you think I'm not going to get fucking paid? But in more cases than not, those guys are in the fucking indoor football or the XFL banging right. it out for 800 or $1,200 a game or even $2,000 a game, but it's a 10-game season. So they're getting paid twenty grand. Their goal is to be in the major leagues. And the, the wrestling portion is you start with a developmental contract. Back in the day, it was like five hundred to seven fifty a, a week. Yeah, they yep. didn't. It wasn't seven fifty a week, and they paid for your food and your housing and your car. You paid for everything yourself. You yep. were betting on yourself that in a year or two, you'd get the opportunity to get called up. You know, yeah, maybe a Brock Lesnar, Shelton Benjamin, amateur wrestling superstars, you know, might have got that $150,000 bonus. Gabe Stevenson. Look at that guy. That guy could pay probably a million dollars, and he's done absolutely nothing. You know, the rumor is today that he's going to be taking time off again. It was like, taking time off? What have you fucking done? He was on TV for three weeks, man. For three Three weeks. weeks. He needs a break. But, yeah, you know. Conversation, you know, with MJF. Oh, I'd love to have to have love to have Hammerstone here. And it's like, but he signed the contract with MLW, which gives him a lot of freedom. And they pay him great for what he's doing there, which isn't a hundred shows a year. It's twelve to fifteen shows. So he has to now go out and take his bookings and seeing if this guy's reputable and is it a good match and how much are you paying. That, that can be very stressful, I would imagine. Sure. Especially when you're not 24 anymore, and now you're 34, and you haven't gotten that big call. Like, at least he's gotten the call to MLW, and he is on people's radar, and Chris Bay's an impact. But what about that hustle guy who goes out and makes a decent amount of money? But even if you make a decent amount of money on the indies, the problem is you can't work six days a week if you want to in most cases you're barely able to get three shows a week if you're in the area you might get two in one day you know things like that right but the issues in that are there's not enough money to sustain a living the eating you know spending money on nutrition food all that other stuff you know, yeah. I'd love to have a guy like Hammerstone on just to talk about that other stuff that people don't look at. Like, even if you get paid well, about how much you have to invest in yourself to do that. Yeah, if you're Matt Hardy, not going to WWE is a good choice because Matt would sell shit tons of fucking memorabilia merchandise. He got paid. The difference was... If Matt had to go to four different towns in four different days, he would have to drive and pay for his hotel. Well, if Matt works three shows and he works Vegas on Friday and he's going to Texas on Saturday and Florida on Sunday, we all flew him in. We all paid for his hotel. So that's a lot of money. Yeah. You know, when you're paying a guy a couple of grand, just say, well, now the hotel for three days probably adds up to about 500 bucks. 
three hotel, three flights. Sure, you get miles, whatever. But technically, you know, a two thousand dollar payday for a good ex WWE wrestler equivalents to four thousand right. dollars. Sorry, two thousand a week. A show is six thousand dollars. Okay, right. for one weekend, six thousand dollars. But now the five hundred, the thousand in the flights. Now it's seventy five hundred, eight thousand dollars a week. Yeah. Not saying you do it fifty two weeks a year, but that's eight thousand a week times fifty. Two weeks off for vacation. That's four hundred thousand dollars. Okay, well, what would you rather have? A $400,000 a year contract where you have to pay for your hotel, pay for your food, and pay for your flights, and get 20 cents a shirt. Or you got 400000 a year if you choose to work. Matt Hardy chose to work. John Morrison chose to work sporadically. We wanted to do his. So he had his own freedom. In that case, he made money when he worked, but he didn't always work. But now Matt sells probably at least 500 to 1,000 a day in, in merchandise. Right. So let's just low end 500, two days a week. That's another 3,000 a month. Yeah. Easy, easy. So yeah. I remember seeing when Matt was on our shows and he was the champ and all. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. And it was like Matt had his issues. They're all documented. We understand everything. Right. But Matt Hardy made a business of being an independent wrestler. Did what he wanted to do. I'm going to go away with the wife for a week. Oh, Joe, you'll, you'll bring the wife in? Yeah, we're going to have a match with Disco Inferno and Maxwell. And uh, Spider's dad runs a restaurant, so we're going to take you out to dinner. You paid for nothing. And you had a five, $6,000 weekend. Instead of the stress, there's got to be stress in WWE. You oh, get yeah. injured, your ankle, hey, you can't make the spot. You know, whatever it is. If you could make that kind of money, fantastic. Right. I'll take that. I'll take 400000 working indie shows over that in that situation. Right. But... There comes a time where Matt Hardy was like, you know what? I got to do more of my bookings. I got to go on flights all the time. AEW is perfect because AEW isn't the road like WWE where there's four shows a weekend. So if you go to on Monday Night Raw, you probably got a house show on Sunday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. AEW, you go for the filming and you're fucking done for the week. Yeah. And half the time the filming's in, Phil in Florida – and you're in North Carolina, you can hop on a plane and you're back in fucking three hours. Yeah. You know, it's an hour flight. Sorry. You spent the day there and you're home six days a week. So there's so many advantages. But why would somebody leave AEW if you're being paid? Brian Cage, perfect example. You know, wasn't being used. He would take his indie dates no matter how much he was being paid because he loved to wrestle. And he almost gave up AEW because he loved to wrestle. Right. And despite paying him really well, he didn't get to do what he loved. Then they started utilizing him, and he was like, hey, I got it pretty good here. I was getting paid a lot of money not to do nothing. 
but I want to do something. Well, the issues with Santana and Ortiz, LAX, hottest tag team in professional wrestling, and not being utilized, being Jericho's lackeys in the beginning. You know, according to Conan, who has their ear, according to multiple sources, they're not getting along. And the main reason they're not getting along is one wants to wrestle and the other is more content. Yeah, he wants to wrestle, but he's not trying uh, to to ruffle any feathers. And now they're butting heads because the other one feels... Well, what do you mean? We're a great tag team. They're not using us. Fuck these motherfuckers. And the other guy's like, hey, bro, relax. We're getting paid. We'll get an opportunity. While one's being complacent and one's being aggressive toward it. Now, neither one is right or wrong. They're right based on their own opinion of what they want to do in their life. You know how many less bumps they've been taking? Yeah. For 10 times the money that they would have made on the indies? Sometimes in front of 80 people or 200 people. So, you know, it's a crazy business because at the end of the day, they're all trying to do it because they love it, but they need to make a living from it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting thing that uh, a lot of times doesn't get talked about enough. Um, And, uh, you know, there's just, certain things that bring up those types of uh, conversations throughout the, uh, you know, the years. And uh, it's very interesting how it also changes because, you know, you're talking about going back and, and yeah, the early 2000s, uh, late 90s, that's how it was. It was, you know, you're paying for everything, you're getting, you know, 700 bucks a week or whatever it was. And, um, and you were under contract to the company as if you were part of the company. Um, yeah, and, and, we, and we knew with WWE, like, it's awesome to see the success of Cepha and, and Lacey and Cross. And for guys like Cross and Lacey, and I probably pretty much assume Cepha because of his dad, the brothers, that be all end all is WWE. And in the past, everybody's be-all, end-all was the WWE. Now it isn't because there's guys who can make a great living wrestling in Japan. And like I saw Aussie Open signed uh, with AEW. But they double-checked and they made it clear that they wanted to continue working the New Japan shows because they didn't have a contract there. And they were told that that wouldn't be an issue. So they got the best of both worlds. They got the right. AEW contract, but they'll go on their Jap- their tours of J- Japan for New Japan, and it's a perfect situation. Yeah, They've talked with WWE, and again, there's no guarantees there. Yeah. You know, they're not going to get the contract because NXT, when you get signed to go there, is the minor leagues, and your goal is to get to the major leagues. Sure, an AJ Styles, an Nakamura, any of those guys. Not that AJ went to NXT, right? But Nakamura did. But you don't think they paid Nakamura seven hundred fifty bucks a week? No, they paid him a full life contract. And you know, Finn Balor. How many times has he gone back there? Because he he wants to wrestle. 
you know, it took a while, but the Judgment Day with him involved has taken off. Yep. And in the yep. beginning, it was kind of like, man, they're burying this motherfucker. Yep. And, you know, nobody's fault. They made him the champ. They tried to give him the push. Then he got hurt immediately. But then when he came back, there were so many other guys in positions, it was hard to get him in there. And Vince wasn't a big fan because of his size and other things. Right. And, you know, Seth Rollins has earned the equity. You know, he put over Cody Rhodes. You know, they're talking about the thing with L.A. Knight and going back with the cat, uh, the money in the bank. Damian Priest earned the equity. You yep. know, he put over, I believe it was Logan Paul. Bad Bunny in Puerto Rico. Bad Bunny. Yeah. You know, and it was like, you know what? No matter how good a job Bad Buddy did, Damien Priest has to get a lot of the credit. Yep. So, WWE has always been known for favors. You do something here, we're going to reward you later. Yep. And it didn't really shock me. I remember reading on Facebook, it was like, ah, you know, I'm calling a swerve. Damien Priest is going to win. And I'm like, you know. Out of all the guys, I could see him because he got put in a high-profile match with a celebrity. Celebrity was very good. And I thought he was being lost for a little while, Damian Priest. But yeah. that was his coming out party. It was. And they said, you know what? Dude, you did fucking fantastic. You made this a match people talk about. Especially and in Puerto Rico, you know... Like, I was unaware Damian Priest was Puerto Rican, you know, and it, he did an amazing job. Yep. And it yeah. was like, it was a little different than Selena Vega because, yeah, you know, the crowd loved her and it was over. She was, you know, there. But Damian right. Priest, really, with Dominic there, and Rhea Ripley was the low person on Judgment Day. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's amazing that. That faction has become pretty much they're all at an equal level, even fucking Dominic Mysterio, because he's so hated and beautiful. Put that NXT fucking belt on him. They did it with Seth. I didn't understand why they didn't even have him defended. It was like mind boggling what they did there. But with Mysterio, they all got the belts. He's got the case. Reminds me of the faction when they, when they had the stuff, you know. Braxton had the case. The other guy had the heavyweight. The other guy had the other two guys had the tag team belts. Yep. You know, and now Damian Priest has been elevated. First, the Bad Bunny thing put him in a good position, but now winning the Money in the Bank has solidified him as a main guy. Finn yep. Balor has stepped up. He's the leader, but there's always people, you know. I was like, man, they should just break off Rhea Ripley and Dominic. You know what I mean? It's like this is this is pointless. And, you know, it took a long time. But yeah. initially it was like they got rid of Edge. This is never going to fucking work. Yeah. And it yeah. took a long time and there was a lot of growing pains. But, again, here's a case. What they normally don't do is stay patient. Right. And they had something in Dominic. Rhea Ripley, it, it, it's funny because she is heavily cheered in a lot of situations. Yep. You know, because she's good. People like her. She's a badass. Okay. But being in that group, 
there's ways to make her hated. Right. And, you know, they're finding those dynamics. And, you know, I try to, not that I steal or take or look, but I look and see things that open my eyes and having conversations and thoughts and sitting down with somebody and, you know, I was talking with Jay Vidal a little yesterday and talking with Damian Drake a little yesterday and, you know, where we're going in September 10th and, you know, giving Damian Drake a little break, uh, you know, had his run with Sharp kind of, you know, back and forth a little bit. And, you know, right now, the decision of just throwing him in another scramble match. It's like, yeah, just take a break. We, we, we have so many guys. Let's rotate. Let, let's give some guys some breaks, you know, make people want to see them. And, you know, just in those conversations. And Damian Drake, you know, had a couple questions moving forward, what we're looking to do, blah, blah, blah. And in those conversations, he brought something up. And then all of a sudden I had some ideas based off that, that I would have never had if he didn't bring them up. So, you know, for the talent out there, yeah, sometimes your requests are fucking moronic, okay? But there's a lot of times there's a little something there that could turn into something later on. Yeah. With ideas, alliances, where we're looking to go, matches, and all those things, because unless I talk to somebody, I'm my own soundboard. So my kid has an idea about this, and Remy has an idea about that, and Cody has an idea about the other thing. And every once in a while, Jake will message me, hey, what about this? And Damian Drake, and Jay Vidal, and Chris Bay, and it wasn't me hey chris bay why don't you talk to ace austin i want to have you guys come in and wrestle on our shows no chris bay's like hey you know what do you think uh, about me and ace i'm like well i love ace but you know what's he gonna work for you know what he's gonna work for is important to me because we have school shows i can't pay people upwards Look at the show we got on fucking Sunday. I got Kenny King. I got the Bullet Club. Limelight. I got guys who've done shit. Yeah. The show before we had Royce and Jarrell. They don't come in for that bargain basement rate anymore. They're wrestling in fucking Japan. Yeah. Royce Isaacs is showing up on AEW fucking attacking people. Yeah. For Tom Lawler. So... They give me the best rate that they can give me. And, you know, I negotiate. You know, I'm the king of negotiations. You know, they know. Are you pay- are you paying uh, Tito and Che and uh, the 1% in yen? Is that what you're getting at here? <laughs> I don't know. If I paid him in yen, I'd have to pay a lot of yen. <laughs> you know, yen isn't cheap. But right, you know, we got Tito and Che. You know, we we got Hammerstone. Not on this show, but he's going to be around. Yeah. You know, he's he, he's booked 
pretty sure he's booked. I got to double check, but I thought I gave him September 10th as a date. And we were looking at something in August. And again, nobody better than Hammerstone. But he's still going to make something. You know, I'm not making him lose money to come to fucking Vegas. Right. So these shows are costly. And for a casino show, we're usually charging 45 or 50 bucks. Right now, we're charging 35 for a casino show. It just happens to be in the FSW arena. Yeah. The only thing that it's lacking is air conditioning and alcohol. Yeah. You know, who needs any of that? Well, that's a good uh, a good end of the uh, week here. Um, again, uh, Moment of Truth is happening this uh, Sunday um, at the FSW Arena, uh, 5 p.m. start time, correct? That is correct, 5 p.m. And if you are not in Vegas or can't get out to the arena, uh, check it out on Fight Plus. And uh, it's, again, it's a stack card. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, if you've been following stories, there's a lot of good stories that uh, you're going to see some uh, either resolution or uh, further conflict. So, you know, again, the best aspects of the soap opera are here. And uh, are you saying that should be the name of the next show? So today, so Sunday's the moment of truth and the next show is going to be further conflict. Further conflict. Yes. Further conflict. We've never used that name, by the way. I don't and think. I don't, and matters. I don't think Impact has a uh, copyright on it. I don't, I don't know, Scott. If you want to talk to me, I, I uh, just copyrighted it. So uh, there you yeah. go. Impact wants to buy it. Oh, they they, they definitely don't want to buy it. <laughs> they need to save their money for Samstown. Right. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in, and until next week, we'll see you guys. Yeah.